Today on the Wet Fly Swing podcast, we've got Zach Pope from TroutRoutes.com. Zach is the founder of one of the best mapping tools in the country. Zach is going to deliver the goods today, and you are going to get three big takeaways on today's episode on top of everything else. You are going to learn where the trout live in every state and every spot in the lower 48 of the U.S. That is every trout stream in the country. You're going to find out in the lower 48 where all of the public water, so you know exactly where you can access, where you can access. You're going to get that. And we're going to find out about a master class they have going where if you want to get more information and you don't have this tool right now, you can find out where to get that. Plus, we're going to get you a bonus today. We are going to be talking about the three states that do not have trout. That's the bonus today. You're going to find out uh, which three states don't have trout. This is a great tool. Here we go. Zach Pope from Trout Routes. Com. How you doing, Zach? Good. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, thanks for putting this together today. Uh, we've got a great episode ahead. We're going to talk, um, you know, not only mapping and uh, how people can utilize trout routes and other kind of mapping tools, but just your background, how you got into it. I'm interested to hear because you guys have one of the, uh, I think, one of the best products out there in this space. So let's, uh, let's start with your fishing. I always like to go there, kind of fly fishing. How'd you get into it? And what's your first memory? Yeah, my first memory of fly fishing is actually, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, so my uh, grandpa passed away before I was born, so I never met him. But when I was about 16, we were cleaning out my grandma's garage. And we I kind of came across what I later learned was like this crazy fiberglass. It almost looks like a broomstick. It's just, yeah, we just found out it's like a seven weight, nine foot. Pretty cool looking fly around. I remember when I first came across that, I was I was really intrigued, you know, for two reasons. Number one, it was clearly my grandpa's. So I kind of had that like calling to try to figure out, you know, what was it all about and kind of what was he, kind of what was his style. And then also I was always intrigued even before that about, you know, the sport of fly fishing. And so from then on, I kind of just took it and ran with it. And um, even to this day, I don't really have a ton of people in my immediate, you know, family or friend circle that that fly fish. And so for those first, you know, six years, it was a lot of kind of DIY, uh, kind of exploring on your own and trying to learn on your own. But I spent like the first couple of years, you know, uh, trying it out at the local lakes here in Minnesota, doing panfish. Um, but I mean, I was I was hooked right from the right from day one. I, I do joke that uh, it, w- it took probably I think it was like seven years, six or seven years, where I would, you know, I, I got into fly fishing uh, really just on my own, had no, you know, took no classes and read very few books and it took seven years before I caught my first trout. And it oh, wasn't nice. until <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until my first trip to uh the Black Hills actually that I got my first uh brown trout. So you know it's been a long journey. Uh, I've been doing it for you know whatever 20, 20 or so years and never looking back and it's it's been great. Nice. And do you remember that first uh fish pretty well that first time you caught the, I mean I'm assuming you caught other species but this was your first trout? Yeah, you know I did you know panfish here and there but that was you know I was very focused at catching a trout for seven years. Uh, I loved exploring. I, I mean, one of my, you know, one of the histories behind trout routes is just an, an ultimate passion on exploring and finding new places to to kind of get lost in the cold water, you know, fishery scene. And when I first finally got that brown trout on the line, it was just like a feeling I'll never forget. I know the exact place. I know the fly rod. I know the fly. It was, uh, it was great. That's awesome. And, and the rod was, like you said, your, your grandfather. And so was your, were your parents not into the fishing, the outdoors as much? 
Um, they do a little bit of like general, you know, fishing, but you know, we'd go to like family cabins here and there, but no one, no one fly fishes. So I was kind of the first in the family to kind of take on fly fishing. And, and the full story is like, you know, once I got my hands on that, that first fly rod and we actually, it's funny, we just found it in my garage actually last week. And now it's on our wall at our, at our trout routes office in, uh, in Northeast Minneapolis pretty much as a museum. And, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, what happened is I, I took it to like the local, you know, fishing store and they looked at it and, and basically said, go away. And so I ended up just buying like the, the you know, the easiest starter kit basically and kind of went from there. So my first, my first brown trout in the Black Hills was not on that fly rod. I didn't, I didn't get a lot on that rod. Oh, sure. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. Nice. So you got this thing going, so you have this passion. And then, so it's a big, uh, where you are now with trout routes, uh, and this product, this, uh, this app, this mapping tool, like when did that idea first come to be? Well, you know, the first, like, you know, I would say 10 years in fly fishing, you know, I was very excited about getting lost and finding myself in new places. And where I started in Minnesota, there's a ton of really good resources that are, you know, public and put up by uh, the Minnesota DNR. And the same goes for for Wisconsin and even Iowa for that matter. But I still always really struggled to find good resources that had interactive, comprehensive information for where to go. And so what I what I learned is that, you know, as much as I love to explore, most of my time exploring was in my car and not on the water. And so you know, my background's software, electrical engineering. I did, you know, 10, 12 years in uh, medical devices and, and some other stuff. And so eventually over time, I just kind of really got passionate about kind of documenting and kind of planning where I wanted to go through, um, I would say like offline research. So so at home, look at maps, you know, there was a couple of years before trout routes where I would, I would, you know, by hand in Google Maps, trace out like the rivers that I wanted to go. And so... I know this is a kind of a long answer, but there is, I remember my first time making my first trip to uh, Montana. I was 24, I want, I think I was 23, 24. And I was, it was just like a dream for like 15 years, 10, 15 years. Never could stop thinking about Montana, couldn't stop hearing about it. But when you do your first trip to Montana, this, at this point I was doing it solo, it's pretty intimidating, right? It's a massive state. All you hear about are that you know, these 15 major rivers, the Yellowstone, <laughs> yeah. the Madison, the Beaverhead, Gallatin. And um, the problem for me is having never been there, I don't have any context to where these rivers are, or more importantly, where the rivers that aren't mentioned are. And so, you know, the Yellowstone's 500 some miles long, even the trout right. waters are. So even back then when I was 24, I was hand mapping out, you know, I was basically making uh, trout routes by hand in, in Google Maps. And then it wasn't until 2018 when I actually filed for an LLC. And the initial idea behind the first kind of go at the LLC was actually low-cost turbidity sensing. And the idea there was, you know, there's a lot of these USGS, primarily USGS, uh, stream flow uh, gauges that are, you know, sprinkled through all these waters. And most of them have flow, most of them have height, you know, some of them have temperature. Uh, my issue, and I think a lot of us, is that there's just not that many of them. And so I think we want a little bit more granularity and more rivers to kind of get a feel for real-time conditions. The problem is that they're, you know, they're super expensive. They're ran by, you know, they're generally ran by the government. There's some private stuff going on. But so my idea was I would come up and design this low-cost um, kind of IoT turbidity sensor. And uh, I actually built 
a seven foot pond in my backyard, uh, all while I had a full time job. And uh, I actually went to the USGS labs here in Minnesota. I don't even remember how I got in. I think I just <laughs> broke in or whatever I did. <laughs> and I actually have a picture to the state where I walked into like the you know USGS national labs in Minnesota with a laundry basket. And in the laundry basket was a cable to a little PVC pill that I made at Home Depot. And that was like my prototype for testing. And then an hour later, uh, I left because they essentially kindly asked me to leave from just how horrible. <laughs> I basically went in there and I thought I had something you know, working in there. Like, this is this is never going to work. You need to get out. <laughs> and so from then, I kind of said, let's, let's take a step back and just focus on the mapping part uh, because my my long-term vision was always to do a, a consumer-facing product that had, you know, fully vertically integrated um, sensors in the field. And so if the sensor thing is really hard, let's first just nail the mapping part, and then we can worry about hardware integration later. And kind of the rest is history. I, I, we launched the first mapping product in March of 2019 at the St. Paul Fly Fishing Expo as, as kind of a way to, you know, get something out there and see what people thought. And I mean, honestly, from there... I remember that day that we launched at uh, the St. Paul Expo. Uh, I told my family and friends I was quitting my job that day. And I did seven months, oh, seven really? months later. Yeah. No kidding, because you knew. What did you know at that show? That uh, were you planning that, or did you did you find something at that show that made you realize you're ready to quit? Yeah, it was a, it was a huge you know aha moment because I, I really feel like my my background in the fly fishing space has felt, at least up until recently, like more of an outsider, someone that. Um, doesn't necessarily feel like I was born into it and I've kind of had to work my way into it. So coming, coming into that fly fishing expo the year before I had attended as like a attendee and I was kind of, um, you know, nervous and kind of felt like, um, kind of the outsider going into that, even though I love the, the community in the sport, I was still feeling kind of like I still had so much to learn and to then go and have a booth where I was showcasing something that I built was an extraordinary experience and I had no idea what to expect. And at the time it was essentially a free product, a free map that I was just kind of throwing out there to see what people thought. And when I saw the, you know, the reaction from a pretty large, you know, engaged audience in, in St. Paul, it was so profound that I knew exactly that this was for sure going to be at least something I could make into a small business, if not something more. So it was a very memorable experience. That's cool. So I think, yeah, I mean, when I think about, you know, just trout routes or just mapping software in general, and this might have come up something I read about it, but I always think of my own, my own kind of like you, the Gazetteer, the Delorme Gazetteer, which I still have one in my truck, you know, the Gazetteer, you're marking all your spots. So talk about, is there, um, is that kind of what trout routes is doing for uh, digitally? Is that kind of the, some of the thinking behind it? Yeah, it, it's basically taking what, folks were familiar with for the gas, you know, gazetteers and these days it's Google Maps or many folks who hunt would probably know Onyx Maps, um, Onyx Hunt. We're, we're very similar to Onyx Hunt, but we're extremely focused on moving trout waters. So that's not necessarily only people that fly fish. It's anyone that fishes for trout in moving waters. And that sounds fairly specific, but it's actually um, intended to be holistically covering Anything that has inland trout and soon to be migratory cold water species, we are we believe one of the best in the in the country that has those mapped out. That's it, and and I'm I'm very familiar with Onyx because they have a lot of good tools. I mean, I'm not even a giant hunter, but I love the land ownership. In fact, 
I mean, that was something when I was out, we were out in New York um, and, uh, you know, with the mapping, being able to, you know, you're in a public spot, you know, and then there's this private section being able to know. And now talk about, well, we, I want to get into that a little bit. So we, because we have kind of that piece, but just in general, before we dig into some of that, maybe talk about high level, what are the few things that people would utilize a, a tool like this for? I mean, obviously it's a map, but if you had to break it down and do a few kind of, um, bullets, what would that be? Yeah, there's, there's two major problems that we solve really, really well. The first is not knowing where trout live, so which streams and which sections have trout. Um, we've solved that now where we have what we believe is the first of its kind national data set of every single trout stream that has inland trout. We believe we don't have a single river now that doesn't have trout that isn't in our maps, which is extraordinary. Um, it's taken six years to do that. And let's, let's step back because that's a pretty huge, awesome thing. So basically we got all these trout, right? I mean, tons of species, different trout you can name. I mean, I don't know how many different species of uh, even cutthroat there are, but so you're saying you guys have mapped out pretty much all in the U.S. trout waters? 100%. That has been our mission since 2019 and we finished uh, January of this year. Wow. And when I say finished, um, there's always going to be continuous improvement. There's going to be new features. There's going to be you know, a new parking lot that we add. But the feat of mapping out every stream or river that has inland trout any time of the year stocked or wild has never been done and we just finished that in january so we're super psyched about just having that feat alone and then what we do is we overlap that with a very comprehensive set of layers for public access and that's the second problem that we solve number one is where are there trout and number two is how do we publicly access that trout stream we do we do those two problems extraordinarily well and then we add a bunch of features on top. So there's two major things in the, I mean, those are two of the biggest things. Yeah. Where are the trout? And then what are the access points? And that was something I, I found is that as we were out there, I'd never been to New York fishing. And as we were going around, I mean, definitely they were spot on on these points. And some of them were an access point where it was all private property, but right off a bridge next to a bridge, there was a little point, a trail sort of thing. So how did you guys, I mean, some of this is probably stuff you can't reveal and things like that, but is a lot of this information out there just for the general public? Or, I mean, it seems like a pretty huge task to put all this together. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think um, I would say probably 60% or so is us taking, um, at this point, thousands of different data sets. And that can be from a state level, a county level, even a, a town might have um, a data set on local parks, or it could even be on the national level, like the National Park Service might have a layer of all the campsites in all the national parks. And what we do over the many years has been to come up with a very uh, novel process of bringing all those layers together and synthesizing it and creating consumer software on top that lets us anglers make good insights about where to go on top of that. So um, at this point, the hard part is A, finding the data, and then B, bringing that into a cohesive national data set. The other 40% is where we have to, using our knowledge in the field, come up with hand-curated content in the maps. So for example, having known some of the major rivers in Colorado and Montana and Wyoming, um, what we would do is find out that there are some missing trails that we don't have, and we would by hand have to add in certain trails that we know are very valuable access points for major rivers. And in some cases, we'll hand curate even polygons that are fishing easements 
So for example, um, there are a couple of counties in Colorado. Colorado, by the way, was by far the hardest state. Super complex, won't get into it. But there's a county in Colorado that has, I think it's like 21 miles of public stream fishing easement access, which is a very unique uh, part of private land that offers access just for fishing to a gold medal river in Colorado. And if you're from Colorado or you fish there, gold medal is like, you know, top tier, most public, uh, most productive fishery. And there's 20 miles of public access that isn't even in Onyx Hunt. And it's in no other app. It's only data available from directly from the county that we had to map out by hand. So it's it's taking public data, yes, but it's also taking our passion and focus in trout stream access and bringing in curated content on top of that. Gotcha. Wow, that's cool. And and so some of the, you know, I think you've probably dealt with this a lot, some of the uh, maybe objections to some of this and maybe you could clarify, but the crowdsourcing piece, people are worried about the spot burning and stuff. Talk about that a little bit, how you guys deal with that. Yeah, that's been a huge um, part of the learning experience of the whole project. And I think the the main theme is just a general misunderstanding of, of what we do. So there's there's a lot of software out there. There's a lot of apps out there that are dependent on consumer-generated content. So things like if you're on Google Maps and you want to look for the nearest taco place, I'm famous for loving tacos, you're kind of dependent on having good reviews, good photos, um, you know, the, the 4.5 stars. All that value is dependent on consumers adding their own content and it's kind of it's crowdsourcing trout routes is the exact opposite we actually don't use don't look at don't know about and don't utilize any content from anglers so in our app you can make your own private notes your own private markers you can do anything you want and none of that is in any way related to our own rating system or our own maps or any of that so most of what i've learned is just how to be careful about your messaging so that people are aware of what you do and what you don't do as far as um, crowdsourcing. Yeah, that's awesome. So basically, so basically, yeah, you guys don't utilize. So if you're in the map in trout routes um, and you plug in a, a point, you're like, oh, this is a great a fishing spot, right? That's one of the things I was at. I was doing that. I was like, oh my God, this is like great water. Plug it in. But that point is not going out anywhere else. Nobody's ever going to see that but me. Yeah, so exactly. And so any of the points that you see in our map, any of the ratings, it's all from our team. And it's generally, actually, it's it's exclusively not points where there are holes for fish. It's places where there are exceptional access points to get on the water. That's kind of the key difference. We're not saying this is a great hole. We're saying this is a great place to get on the water. And from there, it's on you, right? So we talk a lot about the kind of the, the thesis around why a lot of us fly fish is this idea of exploration. And I like to think of trout routes as a way to augment and enhance exploration, not a way to replace it. So we're going to bring you to water and we're going to get you in the water as fast as possible. And once you're there, that's when your journey starts for the day. And from that perspective, it, it's a great, a great tool. Yeah, that is really great. So, I mean, some of these questions I'm thinking out maybe are kind of higher level on this because there's probably some um, confusion too, but like land, you know, like access. 
sounds like you guys use publicly access points, but there's also the whole, have you guys talked about like navigability and things like that where people can, I mean, there's some places where you can literally step in the river and there's some places you can't step in the river. Is that something people should be listening if they, whether they have your app or any other, do you know much about that topic? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So here in the state of Minnesota and Wisconsin, um, we have essentially keep your feet wet laws. You know, I'm not a lawyer, so be careful. Yeah. But basically, <laughs> as long as your feet are wet, you can kind of be on a water in Wisconsin as long as up to the high water point or something like that. Yeah, and as long as it's navigable, meaning as long yeah. as you can have a. I think in Wisconsin, it's something weird. Like if it's a kayak and it can float, then it's you know navigable or something. So what we do for our maps up until basically this month is we show you what land is public and we show you what points are good points to get on the water. Beyond that, it's up to you to understand how you can navigate the water from there in terms of the laws. And we recognize that in a lot of cases, people are exploring new states or new waters and they don't necessarily know the laws. And we know that those are very important. So we have a new feature coming out where we're actually showcasing the the high level laws of every state. So you can click on a river see all the public access points. And then if you wanted to know, can I like wade my way up to the next bridge? We'll show you all the laws related to that. So we're starting to really kind of come up with a more comprehensive set of features to inform you on all the aspects of public access. Nice. That's, there you go. So, so you guys must be always thinking about this because I'm sure it's like any product you're always thinking, how do you tweak it and make the next, you know, version better? Um, How has that been? Has there been along the way, I mean, some stumbling blocks where you've been like, oh man, you know, you thought maybe it was going away. Like, like talk about that. How is that process? Because in three years now, I guess we're going on 2018, almost well, more than three years that you've been doing this. Um, talk about one of the big uh, kind of downfalls and then maybe one of the big wins along the way. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say one of the major, probably the the biggest mistake I've ever made was in the first year when I was getting into the initial product. And I, I realized from a software and engineering perspective that it would be very easy to make a personal marker optionally public to the rest of the users. So I, I, I was like, oh, this would be very interesting, right? You, you flip a bit in our database and all of a sudden your personal marker, if you so choose, could be made available to the rest of the, the users. Now, even if someone wanted to do that, is that something that we want to do? And I actually, in the early days, just kind of ran with it and sent it and launched it. And at this time we had like a thousand active users or something. And um, really quickly, those early users were like, you're, you're completely missing it. Like even if there were people in our community that wanted to make things public, we don't want that. And here are the reasons why. And that was one of the first learnings. I was like, even if people want to do this, we cannot allow it. So we actually don't even allow people to share their content, even if they want to anymore. And that was one of the, you know, the lessons. And I think the takeaway for me, like from a company and brand perspective is like the the value of having someone in our community driving this company and driving this this vision is that we actually have strong core values around conservation and around what's good for the industry versus having someone being an outsider coming in and trying to create something. And so we won't get it right every time, but we are always listening and we're always looking to make improvements and kind of correct things if we need to. Nice. Yeah, that is a great example. So you guys tweaked it early on and, and realize like, yeah, this is, well, and again, listening to your people, right? Uh, listening to what your customers want and they let you know, and then you followed the, that's probably pretty good advice, isn't it, along the way? Is that kind of something you've continued to do is just listen to your your users? 
Yeah, up until so the first four years, it was it was more or less just myself, and so I was software developer. You know, I was uh, mapper, right? So I did all the cartography, all the GIS, but it was also the only point of contact for customer support. So I would be at like a school play or like a you know family cabin, and I would get I would randomly get calls from like New York or you know Massachusetts or Nebraska, and uh, it sounds like a burden, but it was so cool because. You answer the phone, and this is someone that's using your product. They're in your community. Half the time, you answer, and you're just kind of talking fishing stories, right? Yeah. Yes, here's the answer to your problem, but like, let's talk fishing. You know, like, have you tried this, this, or that? So that's been a really nice thing is to kind of stay in tune with your customer. And having five full time employees now, we actually rotate customer support so that we all get a a nice flavor of who our customers are. And all of us employees at Trout Routes are actually anglers as well, so we all fly fish, and we're all passionate about fly fishing. And then I wanted to say that the second story actually, which is not necessarily overly positive, but another learning. One of the main learnings that I've had is that learning more about the fishing experience and how it varies in different parts of the country. And so the first learning was when we tried to take our core driftless product, and when I say driftless, that's the name of the region in the Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa area. It's, if you haven't heard of it, you know, look it up. It's incredible. But it's very unique because there's thousands and thousands of very good, consistently producing cold water spring fed fisheries. And there's a lot of access. But when you take Colorado, for example, it's very, very different. It's a lot of freestone. There's some tailwaters, but primarily it's, you know, 20 incredible fisheries and the rest are either, you know, incremental or they're very intermittent because of snowmelt. And it's a whole different fishing experience. And if you take that to the very far west coast, it's even more different, right? Because now not only are the, are the fisheries inconsistent with their flows, you also have species that are only migratory. So we've had to adapt the product and we continue to do so to meet the different fishing styles and needs of the different areas of the country. And that's been pretty interesting. And, and one small aspect of that um, has been the complex, uh, kind of the co- complex world of regulations um, and unfortunately, you know, I would love to stay out of regulations because it's <laughs> regulations, but they're actually incredibly important in different parts of the country. So like there's things like delayed harvest in, in Pennsylvania and there's like fly fish only sections in West Virginia. And it was really important for us to be as good or better than any mapping source in your local region. So if we're going to launch our maps in West Virginia, we wanted to make sure that we have as good or more information than you would get from a local you know, government resource. So we actually have what we believe is almost all the regulations in most of the states we have. So you'll see things like this section has delayed harvest or this section is wild A classification in um, Pennsylvania or special regs in Wisconsin, or we even have sections in Montana that are close to floating, for example. So it's, it's, a, it's very, very complicated. Um, and we don't do it perfectly, but we're making good progress. That's awesome. So you guys are putting some of the regs in in the app. So if you click in there, you can actually see like, okay, I'm here. These are the regulations. Yeah. And actually a new feature we're, we're releasing very shortly is one of the things I struggle with in the Midwest is knowing precise dates of when the fishing seasons actually are. So it's one thing to know that there's a special reg on Plum Creek in Nebraska. I'm making it up. But it's very different to know, especially if you're not from that state, 
that the fishing season is continuous or the fishing season closes October 15th or December 15th. And so having another layer of information curated by state for seasonality is another feature we're adding in the next couple of weeks. Oh, this is awesome. And and you guys have, so if you look around the entire U.S., so maybe talk about, it sounds like you have all the trout areas. Is this just focused on, I mean, we definitely have a chunk of people up in Canada. Is that something that's also covered in the, um, in the future? Or talk about how you guys expand this. Do you have plans to take over the world and cover everything eventually? I mean, I would love to be 50 years old and still doing this, you know, covering the trout streams of the U.K. or um, I caught myself over the weekend looking at um, New Zealand. <laughs> right. Good example for you to get out and do some traveling, right? Some uh, field research. Yeah. Um, the the office always jokes that I uh, often bring up some random ideas about salt routes. So right. like taking our core product and trying to do a salt. Uh, it's mostly a joke, but it's partly not. Um, yeah. So so right now we have the lower 48. So we just spent an incredible amount of time um, trying to get you know, almost perfect maps of every trout stream in the country. Huge feat. There's a lot more work to do, but it's really good. And so I think what we want to do is make sure that our product in that core audience of the lower 48 is, you know, A minus, A plus. Right. And I think there's still some work to do there. Yep. But eventually you'll see us starting to cover um, like those migratory rivers out west. Um, if you happen to fish for steelhead in Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin, Michigan, or the West Coast, you'll know that some of those rivers don't have quote unquote inland trout. And so they're not actually on our maps yet, but we recognize that's a very important use case. So we're actually starting to cover um, migratory fisheries as well. Eventually, are we going to start covering Alaska? Very much so. We plan to have Alaska before um, that season starts, which I think is generally April, May. There's actually three stocked trout streams in Hawaii. I don't know if anyone knows that. Oh, wow. Um, I couldn't find any in Florida, Alabama, or... Yep. So how many states are there? So out of the 48 you guys have covered, how many don't have trout? I think there's three technically that don't have any any trout of any kind. So Florida, Alabama, and there's, I think it's Louisiana. Actually, I take it back. Alabama is one of them that does. They have three tailwater stocked fisheries in the north east Alabama. So I think it's, I'll have to, uh, Florida is one of them. And I think uh, Louisiana is another one. And yeah, I can't remember that one. There you go. God, this is great. So and I mean, this is your, your, it sounds like I, I'm trying to imagine what your day looks like. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Are you, you're the computer guy. I mean, you're all this stuff. What does it look like for you? Are you pretty much working programs or at this point with you're the founder, what, what does your weekly look like? Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. I mean, in the first four years, it was uh, solo founder, tech founder. So I was the one doing all the, um, all the mapping, which is a super fun project, right? You get to study places like Nebraska. I heard um, Jeff Wigner's um, session with you from a couple weeks ago. And it was really interesting hearing him talk about Nebraska because people think of Nebraska like he, there's no way they have you know fisheries there. And I remember personally spending weeks going through the same pamphlet that he talked about from the Nebraska State and Wildlife and hand mapping all of the 52 trout streams in Nebraska, as well as all the public access points. And so that was a pretty fun time, right? So my days were learning about states I've never been to and understanding the fisheries there. These days, you know, we have five employees. We have Eric, who you know really well, and we have a, a full marketing team. Um, and then we have uh, dedicated people doing mapping and cartography and software. So at, these, at this time, you know, it's, it's more day-to-day um, wearing different hats as, yeah. you know, a founder. 
Right. Yeah. You're the founder. This is good. So, well, let's talk a little bit about, so if somebody wanted to check this out, so you've got this, um, I mean, basically it's an app. Describe that. How does somebody f- uh, sign up for this thing? Talk about the free versus paid, how all that works. Yeah. So it's a it's an app. So you can go to the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. There's also a website. So if you want to check it out on your desktop computer, um, the way that our product works is there's a free version that has, you know, it's, it's completely free, but it has only a couple of features. Generally speaking, what you get for free is all of the lines. There's a bunch of blue lines for every trout stream in the country, which is cool. Uh, but everything else is kind of locked up behind our pro level, which is $60 a year for the whole country. And what you get with that is, you know, we have color-coded um, trout stream lines, which we didn't touch on a lot. But essentially, not only have we mapped out every trout stream in the country, we've actually attempted to apply a proprietary classification system to help people easily differentiate premier waters from marginal waters, which I'm sure you'll have follow-up questions on. Um, and then beyond that, it's public lands, public access points, real-time stream flows, offline maps, a bunch of other cool stuff. Gotcha. So so for essentially $5 per month, you get access to everything. I think about the Onyx. I mean, that's one of the things with Onyx. I mean, it is definitely nice, but one of the challenges is I think it's like, I don't know, what is it, like 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Uh, I mean, something similar, but you only get it by state. I think to get the whole thing, maybe it's a higher cost. Talk about that. How did you guys, is $5, it seems like that's a really low cost for uh, what you guys are offering for the entire country. Yeah. I mean, when we when we first started the project, it, we had seven states covered when we first turned on the, what we call like, you know, the paywall where people pay for access. And at that point, it was Colorado, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I think Michigan was there um, and a few other states in between South Dakota, the Black Hills. Um, and so at that time, $40 felt like a good introductory price. Since adding the rest of the entire country, we decided to increase our price to kind of match the increased value proposition of the whole country. Um, and so that's where that $60 a year comes in. Onyx is kind of interesting because, you know, obviously they have an awesome product, um, but they also have really flexible plans where you can do by month or by uh, by year. And you can also do the whole country versus state by state. And so one thing that to their benefit, you know, if you just wanted to fish a state like Washington or California, it would be nice to have a lower price option just for that state. And so we might consider, you know, making a, a lower price product just for um, state by state access. Gotcha. And and what about uh, lakes? Are lakes something? I know Stillwater, I'm not sure what percentage. I'd love to talk to you about the, how many people, because I know it's a smaller demographic or amount of people, but do you guys cover lakes or what's that look like? We just started adding a layer where we have... Um, points for every lake that has trout. So technically we do have trout lakes now. Um, we haven't really marketed that that much, but it is pretty interesting. You can actually, like the Black Hills is a really good example. It's it's very popular with, with like family vacations. Um, and so if you're going there, you wouldn't know which of those 10 lakes actually have trout. And there's actually like four of them. And using our trout lake layer that many people don't know about, you can see which ones have trout and you can click on it and see which species and the stocking history and all kinds of cool stuff. So we do have it. It's not a big part of our, our marketing or our kind of product strategy. But it's there. So you guys are trying to, like you said, you're trying to cover every, everything for trout. And, uh, and what is it? So if you think about it, go back to before trout routes. I know there's some other apps out there that have similar stuff. But 
How would somebody find it back in the day? Like without trout rats, like think of all this stuff, right? We have all these tools now. What was the, I mean, I had my gazetteer. Do you remember those times? Well, what, what was that look like? What would you tell, you know, if somebody didn't have this, how, how did they find their stream? So we've been doing, um, like a masterclass series where we teach people that exact question. So if you didn't have trout routes, or if you wanted to create your own version of trout routes on your own, we actually teach people how to do that. Oh, wow. Um, which is kind of an odd thing that we do, but we do it anyway. Um, and it's actually, it can be anything from simply going to your state's, you know, DNR website and figuring out um, which what kind of resources they have. And it ranges anything from like a PDF map to like a stocking table to like a interactive web app to, you know, at, at times you can go download the plat map for each county and figure out, you know, which, which, um, which parcels are publicly owned by the county or the city. But essentially the whole value proposition is it could take you months or years to learn as much as you can from an onyx hunt or a trout routes than right. you could do on your own. So like, yeah, it, it's really kind of a, a, just a major time saver. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of States that have really good resources out there. I think the Midwest is, is high up there. Um, South Dakota is one that I obviously hold close to my heart because that's where I got my first trout, but it had the least amount of public information. So mapping out the trout streams of the Black Hills was actually very uh, interesting and, and difficult. That's awesome. I love that you got your first fish in South Dakota because that's definitely one of those in the middle of the country, not as, you know, you don't think of it as the trout as some of the other Western in states to the East, right? But it definitely has trout. Like you said, there's only three states in the country that don't have trout, which is really cool. Um, so, so this masterclass is also awesome. I, I, I love that you guys are doing this cause I, it shows that you're really into this education. So I always think about that. Like if somebody doesn't pick up your app, how can they still learn something? And it sounds like you can do it, you know? And I remember Onyx when I first learned about that, I was like, well, yeah, you can go get the tax lot information. It's out there, but it's going to take you a long time to sift through it. And so you guys are basically, I mean, I hate to say, you know, the Onyx thing, right? The, the Onyx of, of fishing because Onyx, uh, they don't do, um, I believe like the fishing, right? It's more um, like not at the level you guys do. Um, they started off obviously with their, their Onyx hunt product, actually doing um, chips like back in 2004, I think. That's right. The chips. Yep. I remember that. And then I think around 2012, they kind of flipped into kind of that, that sat like kind of a pure play SaaS thing with the, you know, the iPhone obviously came out in 2010 ish around there. And I think they kind of rode that wave into a whole new distribution model where they could take their, their, you know, their chip IP and basically deliver it in an app format. And that was kind of a breakthrough for them. And then I think in the last five years, they've gone into different verticals. So they have their kind of their core stack, if you will, of um, they're really good at mapping. They're really good at consumer software. And they've taken that and applied it to some other verticals. Um, one of them is Onyx Backcountry. Another one is Onyx Off-Road. And then just uh, the last couple of months, they've launched, or at least they've announced that they're going to get into general fishing. So like think more like lakes and conventional fishing, which is pretty interesting. So I think they're going to launch that, I think, in 2024, from what I can tell. But from, from what I can tell, I think it's going to be more like incredibly um, detailed lake maps, bathymetry, more targeted towards like your your kind of boat uh, lake use case. Oh, your boat stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, I, and that's the cool thing about what you guys have is, like you said, you guys are all fly anglers. And when you there's something to be said for that when you have that specific knowledge and you know it's same thing with the podcast you know i mean we could we occasionally talk about topics that are conventional fishing and it's even hunting sometimes but our bread and butter is fly fishing 
and and that's what you know that's what kind of drives everything for us so i'm sure you know you guys are probably in a pretty good place um given what you have there so nice well this is good i want to do um you know we're going to take it out of here in a little bit um i just want to touch base you mentioned nonprofit. i want to give a shout out we always love to support conservation groups nonprofit, and uh this will kind of get us into the final stage here and into some frequently asked questions i know you some other things we missed but Talk about that. You guys, you mentioned conservation. Can you give a shout out to a group you're working with or somebody you think folks should know about out here? Yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff. Um, number one is we do like 1% of revenue goes to, uh, at this point, it goes to Trial Limited. So we do a ton of work. I was actually on the on the board of a uh, Trial Limited uh, chapter in the Twin Cities for a while. So we we believe that Trial Limited is, one, is, is the top, you know, the most efficient um, group that does cold water uh, conservation work. And so we just do 1% of revenue, just keep it simple. Um, we also do kind of one-time projects with them in collaboration. They did a, um, they have a couple of events throughout the year where they're trying to kind of promote some of the projects that they do, like dam removals, et cetera. And we actually now are starting to integrate some of their projects inside of our app to raise awareness. So we do a lot of kind of, kind of hand-curated uh, kind of co-marketing projects with them. And then we do a lot of work with kind of the smaller groups. There's a group called United Women on the Fly where they're promoting um, accessibility into fly fishing for you know, females. And so that's a pretty cool project that we're doing. We also do, we're also a national partner of uh, backcountry um, hunters and anglers. They're you know, very well known for their initiatives with public access, which we're obviously passionate about. So we're trying to do as much as we can. We try to do both you know, straight up donations as well as co-marketing and kind of collaboration projects. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And we uh, have an episode with Hal Herring that um, he does the podcast for uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. And so I'll put that in the show notes as well. And TU obviously has been doing some great stuff. This is really cool. On 1%. So, and I, we recently also had an episode a little while back with uh, Yvonne Chenard and uh, the kind of founder of 1% for the planet. I'm you know interested to hear, sounds like, are you guys just kind of doing straight up 1% not connected to that group or is this connected to their, to them? No, we, we don't do any, uh, I want to, but like, we're just cutting checks. <laughs> like I, I, I would love to kind of be more, uh, like also Jeff Wagner was talking about, uh, B Corp, for example, I think there's a lot of cool things that we eventually will do to kind of more formalize our commitment to conservation. But right now it's just kind of like ad hoc, just sending checks. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You're doing it. So 1% of revenue, which is, which is exactly what, one percent of the planet, you know, does as well, right? One percent of the revenue. Yeah, not to get into the into the weeds, but like if you do, you know, one percent of profits or even five percent of profits, like it's not for us, especially, it's not as meaningful because you know we're we're growing a lot and we're not necessarily incredibly profitable, but our our top line is is pretty strong. So if we just do, you know, one percent of revenue, it, it's we felt it's more representative of our commitment. That's right. That's right. No, that's that's really awesome. Um, and so, and we'll put some links to the, the, you know, other things we talked about here, masterclass, things like that, but, um, talk about what else we missed here. You know, I think that again, somebody's listening now, they can go into their app right now and just search for trout routes and they can download it for free, check it out, take it for a spin sort of thing. But anything else you want to highlight that we haven't talked about here that describes either maybe some tips for people using it or why it's valuable. I mean, the biggest thing is that, um, we're extremely laser focused on moving trout waters. And we're going to continue getting better and better at curated content and anything that you want to know about fly fishing, we're going to have in that app so that you don't need to leave it for looking at regulations or understanding how to fish a water or et cetera. 
So we're connecting people with fly shops. We hand curated every fly shop in the country, um, as well as all kinds of other tips and tricks for uh, each river. And so um, as part of that, we get really involved with the community. So in this, uh, in the winter season, as you know, there's the intense fly fishing expo season. And this, this year in 2023, we went to I think it was like 16 fly fishing shows between the five of us in wow. two and a half months. So it's <laughs> super intense. Uh, and we're actually going to do it again uh, this next winter. So oh, nice. uh, we'll likely be at a town near your listeners. And we we love you know engaging with people, getting ideas, getting feedback from customers. And it's always a great time. This is great. So you're going to be out there at all the shows and we could uh, connect with you. Folks have, and that's another way is that if they want to have any questions or maybe just stop by the booth and say hi, they can check in there with you. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Quick kind of rap sheet is like, it's, uh, there's one in Minneapolis, there's one in Detroit, um, Boston, there's one in, um, New Jersey, uh, Denver, Seattle, there's one in Utah, Oregon, Iowa. I think that's most, that's one in Atlanta too. Uh, Yep. That's that's the majority of them. There you go. Um, and so, and talk about that. So any other frequently asked questions we've mentioned, I think a couple of them say, but anything else that would shed light on people that are still interested, but unsure about, you know, taking the time to download this. Biggest thing is that, you know, there is a free, like when you first come in, there's a free 24 hours given to everyone. So you download the app, you sign up, it's no, there's no strings attached. There's no credit card or anything. You just get 24 hours of, of that pro to kind of get a feel for the value proposition. And one of the coolest things that I've experienced is going to these fly fishing shows and talking to someone that's never heard of trout routes and they hear our pitch. And when we say that we have, you know, every trout stream mapped out, they immediately say, okay, you know, good luck with that. But what they do is they, they test us and they, you know, that we intentionally set it up. So it's a test. And every single time they walk up to our demo iPad and they type in a river that only they know about a river that no, shouldn't even be on any map. And they type it in, and what we show is more insightful information on what part of that river is public than they previously knew about, even though it's their own home water. So the main suggestion is to give it a shot, um, be open-minded, and kind of get into it, and, and just see for yourself. Yeah, that's it. That's why it's powerful, because not knowing, you know, you're always unsure, you don't want to trespass, that's not good. So this gives you a thing in your pocket where you can be sure, like, hey, this this is good, this is public water. And, uh, and I'm good to go. So that's a good peace of mind out there, right? Yeah, for sure. Good. Well, I get a couple of random ones, then we'll take it out of here. I always love to kind of dig into a few here just to, uh, you know, have some fun. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned tacos. I love tacos as well. So what's your, what's your taco uh, fetish here? Do you, do you, are you a, uh, like a Taco Bell guy or is this like special, any town you go to, you have to have a taco? So we got our, our, uh, first office. It's about a year and a half ago. It's in Northeast Minneapolis, and I didn't plan this, but it's two blocks from a place called Centro Taco, and it's like horrible for the wallet because I go there almost every day. And the uh, the team makes fun of me because I I think I've been there however many times and I've never ordered anything different. <laughs> and it's and it's always just a simple, you know. It's I think it's just a, a beef, you know, street taco. That's it. Yeah, I don't I don't do Taco Bell. I don't do it's just street tacos are my thing. Yeah. And, and what does it describe? What is a street taco? Like, what does that entail? Uh, it's like cilantro, onions, um, protein, and, you know, corn tortilla. Super simple. That's it. God, I know the cilantro is the uh, I'm the same thing, man. This The basic taco is great. So, Dave, do you want to hear my next startup idea? Yeah, let's hear it. So it's going to be uh, 
<laughs> it's going to be an app that tells you where in real time where all the taco trucks are in your community. Oh man, that would be good. I, I've been asking the questions uh, occasionally on here because I love the food. And uh, and just like you're traveling somewhere, right? You're out there, oh my gosh, I'm fishing. I need some food. There's pizza. But if I knew where the taco trucks were, um, in fact, I, I want to give a shout out to God Taco. I'm trying to think of the name. We had an episode where uh, one of the guys down in California, he makes a deal to stop by all the taco places. And he was mentioned the same thing. I don't think it's got any legs for a startup idea, but I, I love the idea of it. That is a great idea. Good. All right. So so we know tacos are good. So let's let's talk music. Let's talk podcasts. Um, what do you listen to more of if you're on the road, if you're in a plane or traveling, do you listen to more music or podcasts? Um, I guess probably podcasts. Um, the thing about me is I'm kind of like a all in or nothing at all kind of a person for good or good or worse. And so in the last five years being in a startup, um, I've kind of been all in. And so if I'm not working and I work a lot, I'm usually, you know, doing research about something related to to startups. So there's a fair, there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to that are extremely uh, pertinent to what I'm doing. One of them is called um, the sub pub um, podcast by revenue cat. A lot of cool insights on like how to do um, how to engage with users and how to kind of drive adoption of your core product and stuff like that. So pretty boring for fly fishing, but I just yeah, kind of at this time, I'm pretty, pretty deep into the, into the startup world. Yeah, there you go. No, I love getting, that's always awesome to get. I mean, that's the thing where I am too. I mean, I love the the fishing and everything and, and podcasts about podcasts and things, but I love just the random. I've, I've got a new random episode or a new podcast I'm listening to now that's totally random, but it's always fun. So good. Oh, and talk about the Driftless. Let's take it out here in the Driftless. You are from that area. We're actually trying to set up a trip out there, I think, to the Driftless Angler, hopefully. Um, but but talk about for those, and we've had a few episodes, but what do you love about it? What keeps you in the Driftless area? So it's a really unique place. Um I think the the folks over at Driftless Singular would describe it. I've heard them describe it a lot more articulate, but essentially it's a massive area in southeast Minnesota, southwest Wisconsin, and northeast Iowa. It's kind of a corner of those three states. And essentially it's a it's a massive area of primarily limestone spring-fed creeks, which means there's a ton of water they produce very consistently because they're fed from springs. And it's not like there's one major river that's super productive, like the South Platte or like some of the major rivers out west. There's a ton of water. There's a ton of creeks. They're all pretty good. They're all amazingly gorgeous. They're in these canyons around, not canyons, they're in these valleys around um, some of these really cool looking um, farms in you know the Midwest farm scene. So it's just a really, really cool place consistently producing. And the amount of water to fish is extremely vast. So there's no shortage of water to fish where you can escape the crowds. Perfect. Yeah. And we will follow up on that too. If we get to the Driftless, we'll, we'll test you on your, uh, your Driftless, your local knowledge. We'll have the app and we'll be able to get out there and uh, with Jerry, hopefully get on these streams. I'm really excited for that trip. Um, Cool, Zach. Well, uh, yeah, we will send everybody out uh, to troutroutes.com or just go to the uh, the app store and just search for Trout Routes. Does that sound like the best thing for people who want to connect with us? Yep, pretty easy to find us. Perfect. All right, uh, we will we will do that, Zach, and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch and, uh, and digging in more to the app as we go. So I appreciate all your time today. Thanks for having me, Dave. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. 
I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.